please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. It's a blessing to have you here on Father's Day. You know, typically the church is full on Mother's Day and then fathers make the decision, hey, let's just all sleep in, you know. So it's a blessing to have you all here. But, you know, I have a question for you to ponder. Who in here has been, if you are a father, who in here has been a perfect father? Now, if any of you have children that are like under the age of five, you might lead yourself to believe you are. They might even affirm that truth. You know, but as they grow older, in fact, if we got Aaron up here right now, my son Aaron, and said, is your dad perfect? Aaron would go, no. (laughs) He's not. There's no such thing as a perfect husband or a perfect father. So let's start there. You know, there's only one perfect father, and that's God. And even God, who gave all of his children free will has had imperfect children. Beginning with Adam and Eve. The reality is is that every generation thinks they know better. So in reality, there are no perfect fathers. We've been modeled by our fathers imperfection and we have lived into that imperfection in our own way now I'm not here to bash fathers on Father's Day but I'm just here to point out a truth that we as fathers sin we fail we're not perfect You know, what's interesting is that fathers sometimes get a bad rap. That mothers are elevated and fathers get the bad rap. Do you ever notice that? I mean, there's an illustration I read years ago. I don't remember whether it was Reader's Digest, Time Magazine. Some of you may have heard this before about Hallmark. Did you ever hear that? Hallmark, who thought it would be a great idea to go into the prisons and offer Mother's Day cards so that they could write their moms on Mother's Day, and and they couldn't keep up with the demand. And then on Father's Day, they thought, what a great idea, let's do it again, let's offer cards on Father's Day, and they didn't have many takers. Because in reality, in many of their lives, their fathers were absent, they had left the family, they were neglectful, they didn't pursue a relationship with their children, they were deadbeat, they weren't involved. And I'm not saying that's true of the fathers we had or the fathers in this room right now. But what I'm saying is there's this subtle mindset 
that moms are the ones who get it right and dads are the ones who get it wrong. And I'm here to tell you, no one is perfect. Not moms, not dads. In fact, this is an equal opportunity sermon. Because if you notice, in the Old Testament, we're focusing on David. In the New Testament, it's a woman. So I'm not trying to pick anyone pick on anyone in particular. This is equal opportunity. But the reality is we're all flawed. You know, and you have to and you have to think about who it is that we're focusing on in the Old Testament reading because it's David. David who we're told is one after God's own heart. King David. That Jesus is the son of David, important figure, a man of faith. A man given over to the Lord. And he was flawed. And he ended up making a very poor decision that had ramifications for his kingdom. Ramifications for other sins. Ramifications for his family. And what's fascinating about Scripture, even in the passages that list all these wonderful men of faith down through the ages, is if you study, for example, Abraham and Jacob, and David, some of, the, some of the models of the Old Testament. They all are flawed, and they're all flawed in how they do fatherhood. That's what I love about the Scriptures. It's realistic. It's honest. And it points out that we fail. You know, what are the differences, though? What makes a difference with Abraham and Jacob and David in this story, what makes a difference with the woman that's focused on in the Gospel reading is they admit it. They're honest about their life. They're honest about their shortcomings, their flaws, their sins. And that's what makes the difference. And the question is, are we? Are we honest before the Lord? Are we honest with ourselves? Are we willing to take a look at our shortcomings? Because the reality is, not just on Father's Day, but every day, being willing to look at our lives and say, Lord, I don't have it together. I'm not perfect but I want to be changed. I have shortcomings. I have character flaws. I fail. Or if you want to put it in the term that's really the most appropriate, I sin. And I need your forgiveness and I need your grace. That's what begins the process of change. That's when the Lord can take us and shape us And use us for His glory. And that's what we see in these two readings today. That the beginning, the beginning of both of these, that causes the transformation, is the willingness to be convicted of sin. The conviction of sin. That's what this, that's what this gospel reading is about. That's what King David, the story with Nathan the prophet, is about. The conviction of sin. The willingness to be transformed. 
You know, think about today, 21st century America. And think about David, what David could have said when Nathan the prophet came up to him and said, you are the man. I can just picture a bunch of different scenarios. Well, you know, I was the youngest in my family. And not only was I the youngest in my family, but when Samuel came, Samuel the prophet, he's looking for a king. My dad does not even mention my name. He forgets completely about me. That's my dad. He could have said, then I defeat Goliath, the giant, and I come into the king's service, and what does the king try to do? He tries to kill me. And then my best friend, Jonathan, gets killed tragically. And oh, let's not even talk about Bathsheba. I mean, she tempted me. There you go. The devil made me do it. You know, whatever. We become victims. And so we're not accountable. It's just something that happened. And we accommodate it. And we justify it. And we blame other people. And what about this woman? I mean, she could have used a bunch of excuses too. She could have said, you know, I had a lousy upbringing. My husband left me. I needed to make money. I liked the attention. How many times when we fail that we justify, we rationalize, we blame other people, we blame circumstances, we blame the devil, we blame God. Instead of saying, I've sinned. I failed. I need to be changed. And so this conviction of sin comes into the picture. In other words, God wants us to know by the power of His Holy Spirit that we have fallen short, that we are imperfect people in need of transformation, that we need to be changed from the inside out. We need to be, here's the key, honest. We need to be honest with the Lord, we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to be honest with those around us. What David and this woman share in common is they are honest. When David is confronted by Nathan the prophet, he doesn't try to kick into denial. He's honest. When this woman heard Jesus preach and teach, she went away, she examined herself, she was convicted, she shows up, she's honest. There are consequences to sin. The eternal consequences are removed once we come to the Lord. That's why Jesus came. To assure us of salvation and eternal life. But sometimes those consequences, because we sin, because we fail, end up having an effect. That's why God wants to change us and not experience those consequences. Think about, because of what David did, the consequences that were almost like dominoes in his life. 1 
First of all, when he realized what happened, he had to take care of Uriah. So he's involved in a cover-up. He's involved in a murder. The killing of Uriah the Hittite. And then he's into deceit. He hides. He hides the fact. The Lord reveals it to Nathan and Nathan reveals it to David. It has an impact on his family. There's a residual effect. One of his sons rapes the half-sister. And then the brother of the half-sister, a half-brother, then kills the other son. And then David, probably because, and we love to do this in our generation, said, well, you know, I screwed up. It's hard for me to confront my children. So what happens? Absalom ends up rebelling and ends up dying because of the rebellion. See, the domino effect of sin. The consequences that come. Even when we repent, some of those consequences remain. And that's why God would have us be transformed. He doesn't want the fallout for our lives because He loves us. He knows what's best for us. What about this woman? What she had to deal with, she was not welcome at the worship centers. She was, quote-unquote, a known sinner. She was not welcome in this home, even though Jesus allowed her to come in and do what she did. She had a reputation. People probably gossiped and slandered. She was ostracized by many people. There are always consequences to sin. In the very least, those consequences manifest themselves in our lives, and we are affected. And when we are affected, our relationship with the Lord is affected. And when our relationship with the Lord is affected, we can't love other people as effectively. And God wants to spare us that. Let me draw an analogy for you. Several years ago, I won't tell how this happened. I'm just going to tell you what happened. It was still dark outside. I was backing out of my driveway, and I ran into my son's car. You know, my first thought was, that didn't happen. Denial, right? The second thing I thought is, I hope it's not that bad. We minimize. So I pulled forward a little bit. And I sat there for a second and said, Lord, I hope it was just bumper to bumper. And I was able to move my car and drive my car, so I thought, okay, this is all right. Aaron got up later, and he says, what happened to my car? He couldn't drive it. Consequences, unintended to my son. There were dents. The dents didn't disappear. And then there was a cost that I had to pay. See how that works? That's the reality of sin in our lives. We don't intend it. And sometimes, ultimately, it goes away. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there are lasting 
consequences. God would spare us that. And the other reality is when it comes to the cost for our sin, Jesus paid the price. He took care of our guilt. He took care care of our shame so that those consequences that could reside in us can go away. God is not here by the presence of His Spirit when He comes to convict sin, to tear us down, to beat us up. That's not His purpose. His purpose is to help us come to the realization that we have sinned, that it's hurt us, that it's hurt our relationships. And He wants to bring us that forgiveness and heal our guilt and sin so that we can be renewed and transformed and live for Him. That's His goal. His goal, in effect, is conversion. Conversion. You know what's interesting about the word conversion? The word conversion is, in fact, the same as the word repent. Both of them mean turn. That we have been walking away from the Lord and we're just following our own desires. And when the Holy Spirit breaks in, we come to the realization of our life that we've sinned, that instead of keeping our back turned towards the Lord and trying to hide it or deny it, we turn to Him. And we accept His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. That's conversion. And conversion is a process. It begins with repentance. When we say, I need to turn from my sin. It continues with a resolve to change every day. That every day we're willing to take that inventory. Where have I sinned? Where have I failed? Lord, where do I need your grace and your forgiveness? Lord, how can you empower me to begin to live life more effectively? How can you take me and make me a more loving person so that I am more reflecting your love, your grace in my life to those around me? That this conversion takes more and more of an impact and effect. That we've experienced forgiveness, we can pass forgiveness on because we understand. Did you see what this woman did? She cried. She wept. She washed his feet with those tears and dried them with her hair. She was broken, but then she was changed. And what did Jesus say to her? Your sins are forgiven. Because of your faith, because you've turned to me, because you're seeking to be converted, you're seeking to be changed. And you know the ultimate result of what this woman experienced? Let me read a passage to you from Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 32. The effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. See what this woman experienced once she turned to Jesus and she understood this transformation that comes by repentance, this conversion experience, and she commits to lead for righteousness. Notice what the righteousness leads to. Her life is broken. Her life is in chaos. She comes to the Lord and she experiences peace. That inner peace. Not carrying the guilt, not carrying the shame. Letting go of the failure. 
peace. But not just peace, quietness. The quietness of a heart that's resting in His love. And trust forever. Trusting Him for our salvation. We're not earning it. We're not trying to gain His favor. We're merely, merely accepting His forgiveness. That's what happens. That's what happened to David. That's what happens to this woman. The peace that passes understanding. Rushing in. That's what God wants for us. I want to add one more C to this sermon. Now, you may have picked up. First of all, there was conviction of sin. And then there were consequences to sin. And then there was conversion, three C's. Have you got that so far? Okay, good. I want to add one more for you. No condemnation. No condemnation. That God's offer of forgiveness, His desire to change you, to convert you, and to continue to convert you in an ongoing way, is because He doesn't Hold it against you when you turn to Him and seek His forgiveness and grace and mercy. No condemnation. You know, I know many here probably know the passage, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, to the end that all that believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. But do you know the verse that comes after it? Let me read it to you. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send the Son to condemn the world, but to bring His forgiveness and grace and mercy through the cross. That's why He came. The second time He will come to judge. We say that in the Creed. But the reason He came and died on the cross is to pay that penalty for our sin, for our guilt, for our shame, so that we can be washed, so that we can be cleansed and forgiven and know His love washing over us and live His love in our relationships with those around us. That's what He wants. That's what He wants for us. I want to read to you another passage from Romans 8, a great passage of Scripture, the whole chapter. But let me tell you how Romans 8 starts. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how Romans 8 starts. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who's against us? In other words, once we experience Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit bringing that conviction and that transformation, then there is nothing no one in the world that can convict you. You admit that you've failed, that you've sinned, that you've fallen short. You accept the grace and love of God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, nothing stands against you when it comes in your relationship to Him, in your ability to be transformed and love other people. 
And the passage goes on to say, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril and sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants us to know. That's what the cross is about. This coming Saturday, I will have the privilege and the honor of walking my daughter down the aisle for her wedding. How does that happen? And you know the reality is, I've not been a perfect father, and she has not been a perfect daughter. And I know her fiancé enough, Charlie, to know he is not perfect either. But you know what's amazing? And some of you know the story better than others, and you can listen to the sermon from a couple Easter's ago. Is when we come to the Lord, and we seek his love and forgiveness... And we seek that forgiveness in our lives and in our relationships with those around us. And we allow His Holy Spirit to change us so that we can be reconciled to one another. That love, that forgiveness and grace washes over everything. So that it will be my joy To share the daughter I love with a man who loves her. Because God is working in all of our lives. See, it's not about perfection. It's about love. It's about God's grace. And that's what we learn over and over again. I want to read one more passage to you. It's in the last book of the Bible. The next to the last chapter. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. There's two analogies woven together in this passage. The first is the analogy of the Father. 
I will be their God. And they will be my people. And I will dwell with them. The second is the analogy of the bride. Adorned for her husband. Covered in white. See, we are intended to be the bride. We're intended to be the children. That God, by his mercy and grace, dresses us in white. Because through Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. And we can be transformed. And our lives and our relationships can be made new. That's the power of the gospel. I've seen it in my life. An imperfect father. I've seen it in my children. I've seen it in relationships. And it can happen in your life. Every day. Every day converted. Every day transformed. Every day empowered by His love. Every day. It doesn't just have to be Father's Day. And it's not just for fathers. It's for everyone. If you have never come to that place of understanding the gospel, understanding that you are meant to be the bride, you are meant to be his children, today's the day. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, in your word, it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that everyone here would know that truth in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, that as your Holy Spirit moves in our life for the conviction of sin, that it is not for condemnation, that it is for transformation. It's for conversion. Lord, I pray on this Father's Day that we would be reminded of your love as our Heavenly Father that we would be reminded of the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and what it cost Him for our sin and guilt and shame. That we would be reminded of the depth of your love and your desire to change us by your grace, by your power, by your Holy Spirit, so that we might love you more effectively and love and serve those around us more effectively. That as sin over time slowly dissipates from our lives. As we experience conversion more and more. That we become more effective instruments of your grace. A more effective witness of your gospel. Lord, I pray this day that you would show us the reality of, of, of our lives. That we are sinners. That we are flawed. 
but show us the reality of the cross and the resurrection. That we can be changed. Show us the reality and power of your Holy Spirit. That we can be converted day by day. Until we see you face to face. Until we dwell with you forever as our Heavenly Father in heaven. Lord, this day for Father's Day, bless the fathers amongst us. And remind us of our Heavenly Father's love. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.